Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Hey folks, um, we're doing something a little different this time. Instead of a interview podcast, I'm going to be sharing a message that I did on April 16th called Community of Loving Doubters. And I hope you listen to this. I think you'll find it interesting as I share about, you know, what uh, God has been doing in my life and kind of the weird experience I had from preaching Easter for the first time in over in over in five years. You know, the last time I spoke on Easter was 2018. And now all of a sudden I did it again after an unplanned hiatus in 2023. So check it out. Hope you like it. Take care. Right. Thanks, JJ. Welcome, everybody. Welcome those who are online with us. We're in a series called Resurrecting Faith. Now, that title would maybe, for some people, seem to imply that you maybe had faith, lost it, and then it resurrected, right? Life, death, resurrection kind of a sequence. And uh, as we go through this series, I want to acknowledge that Finding faith in the first place is not always an easy process, sometimes harder for others. Sometimes people grow up in faith, never challenge their faith. Sometimes people don't grow up in a faith environment and they have a hard time finding it. Sometimes people lose their faith after having faith for a long time. And then resurrecting faith can be a process. It doesn't always come easily. And it can be a long process for, for some people. So over these next few weeks, we're going to talk about some of those dynamics that have gone on. Last Sunday was the first time I had preached an Easter Sunday since 2018. Now, prior to 2018, I had preached over, over three decades of Easter weekends in a row. I had never missed preaching a, an Easter weekend, but I took an unplanned hiatus. <laughs> Some of you heard about that. Yes. And so um, I came back like a resurrection of sorts last Sunday where all of a sudden I was preaching Easter weekend. And I did all of Holy Week, right? So I started way back with in February with, with Holy Week, and we took one of each day of Holy Week over a process of six weeks. And during the five-year unplanned hiatus, all right, a lot went down. And I would say in 2019, that would have been my darkest darkest year. And it was the year that I really felt like my faith just shattered and fell apart. I wouldn't have said, oh, I'm an atheist, but I would have said I felt like an atheist. It literally felt like God wasn't there. 
And if I cried out, it didn't feel like God was there. And um, if God was there, there were things that were so, so crazy about that downfall that I was totally in, just enmeshed and shamed. I was angry at me. I was angry at, if, if there was a God, I was angry at God. I had never felt like anger at God in my entire life, nor had I really felt like my faith was shattered like that. And it led me into a darkness where I questioned everything I'd ever believed. Literally just questioned everything that I'd ever believed. And in my darkest moments in 2019, I decided that I was going to get and connect and give the recovery community a try, right? So in September of 2019, I started going to recovery groups. So these were people who were wrestling with any number of kinds of issues, uh, particularly addiction, alcohol, those kinds of things. But there's recovery groups, 12-step groups for every kind of addiction, whether it be eating or gaming or shopping or gambling or sex addiction or you name it, there's a 12-step group for it, right? But I was, I was hanging out in the recovery world, and I would sit in circles of people, and the thing about these circles of people is there, there were every kind of people that you could imagine. There are people uh, rich, poor, black, white, Asian, Hispanic. They're gay, straight. There were every kind of human being that you could think of. And then the other thing that was interesting was as it related to faith, there were people from all different faith traditions or no faith traditions. And for some people, they had been in church, had such a bad experience with church that they had done a hard exit on church and never wanted to have anything to do with church, the Bible, or Jesus ever again in their entire life. They'd had such a negative experience with church. And the fact that the 12-step had this thing called God or higher power in it, it scared them away. They didn't even want to do that. But some of them were so desperate, they were like, okay, well, I need help, so I'll put up with this God thing just because I need some help. All right? And so... Um, so I found myself in circles of people who had never had faith. I found myself in circles of people who were trying to find faith. I, had, I found myself in circles of people who had lost their faith. And I felt like mine was shattered. I wasn't sure where it was at. It felt lost. And I, found, I was sitting in circles of people who had found faith, actually, for the first time. In some way or another. But all over the spiritual map. It was so fascinating. But here's one of the things that I found. When human beings sit in circles like that and get honest, humble, and vulnerable, like really get real. <laughs> one, of my, one of my values I used to say was real down-to-earth spirituality. Uh, that, this is real down-to-earth spirituality. Like you get in and you just kind of spill your, your guts on the table with every, all the crap that's going on in your life, right? And what's amazing in those circles of doubters, disbelievers, people that have, their lives have been broken and shattered, there's something magical that happens in those circles of honesty, vulnerability, and humility. And it's a beautiful thing. And one of the things that you realize is that in those 
circles of honesty, vulnerability, and humility, the honesty about doubts, questions, and disbelief are there, but something beautiful emerges and happens together in community. In community. If you go through a darkness, a pain, a suffering, a sorrow, a loss, a depression, a dark episode of depression, our tendency as human beings is to do that alone. We want to isolate. It's our, it's our kind of gut instinct. But it's, it's the thing that is the worst thing to do when you're in that kind of situation. The thing that we need to do is find people who have experienced the same kind of pain, the same kind of sorrow, the same kind of doubt, same kind of questions, the same kind of broken dreams, and actually open up, be broken open, and share with those people. And then in that honesty, vulnerability, and humility, something beautiful begins to emerge. And let's call it faith. Let's call it like this, this percolating of hope again, even in the darkest of places. Now, we're talking about resurrection appearances right now and resurrecting faith. And by the way, Mark's gospel has no appearances of resurrection. Mark's gospel ends by telling the disciples to go to Galilee where they will see him. Luke's gospel has two resurrection appearances that happen in and around Jerusalem. I covered one of those, the road to Emmaus, last week. And then Matthew's gospel has two appearances. Uh, one happens right after the women visit the empty tomb. And then in Galilee, and we're going to look at one of those today, Matthew 28. And then John's gospel has four appearances. And we'll look at a couple of those in a few weeks as well. Okay. So one of the things that I did in preparation for this whole series that I've done on Holy Week and on resurrecting faith was I read a couple of books by a historian named John Dominic Crossan. One of the books was called The Last Week, and the other one was called Resurrecting Easter. And in Resurrecting Easter, Crossan does an interesting history of, of icons in the Western church and in the Eastern church. Okay, an icon is like a religious painting. So if we translate ourselves all the way back to first century when Jesus was around, and you think about the church history of second century, third century, fourth century, fifth century, you know, the church has been going on now for a little over 2,000 years, right? Since Jesus' death and resurrection. Well, most people could not read and write. The large majority of the population all over the known world, in Jesus' day and in the centuries after Jesus, could not read and write. Only the educated, rich elite, which was a very small percentage of the population, less than 10%, could read and write. Okay, So if you think about that, when these painters would paint paintings, religious icon paintings, those were like their movies. Right? They, they, before the printing press was invented in the 1500s, before TV, before radio, before movies, before social media, there were icons. You would look at paintings and you'd be like, ooh, wow. It'd be like a movie for you, right? And painters would paint 
theology and scenes into, into icons. And this would be like our movies. And they couldn't read or write. So this is like what they would see a teaching or a theology, okay? So one of the things that Crossan points out is that there's two separate histories in the history of icons, the paintings of the church. The Western church has one tradition around the resurrection of Jesus, and the Western church is the Catholic Protestant tradition, okay? Sort of the European tradition. And then the other tradition is from the Orthodox church, which would have been more the Eastern, the Greek Orthodox church tradition. And that would have been the Coptic tradition. And, you know, the Greek, you know, you think about the Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, Coptic Orthodox, all the Eastern, Ethiopian Orthodox, those would be churches of the East, Catholic Protestant churches of the West. What's interesting is that the iconography, the icons of the West, let's put one up here real quick. This would be an icon of the West. All right, this is found in Florence, Italy, in the Spanish chapel, and it was painted by a famous Italian painter. And it's a scene of the resurrection. Notice that Jesus is by himself ascending to heaven. At the bottom here, you have the guards, which, by the way, if you read all the Gospels, the only people that would have actually seen the stone roll away and, and, and this pit would have been the guards. The women came after the tomb was empty, right? So they didn't actually see this. And then maybe some angels. But this picture is some of the women, the guards, and some angels. But Jesus is doing a solo ascent to heaven. And if you study the Western tradition of the paintings of the resurrection, it's Jesus by himself, solo ascent into heaven. The East pictures of the resurrection icons are different. Let's, let's look at the East. And you might recognize this. This is the one I've used on my series, Resurrecting Faith, right? This is an icon from Cappadocia, Turkey. And this is quite different, all right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a minute and explain this for you guys. How's that? We're going to do a movie, a picture movie. How's that? All right? Picture movie. And I'm going to use a, a thing that drives cats crazy. <laughs> okay? So... But I want you to notice some things here. This is Jesus, right? All the, letter, all the words here are capital Greek letters. The, New, the Greek New Testament, by the way, is lit, written in lowercase. So I learned to read lowercase Greek. But these are the capital letters, which is a little trickier when you've only read lowercase. But anyway, that word right there is resurrection at the top. This word here is Jesus Christo, it's the short, the Greek short for Jesus Christ, okay? Um, Jesus is standing on Hades. This guy right here is Hades. Hades was not a place of punishment. Sometimes we think of hell and Hades as the same, but Hades was just a place of the dead. Sheol in the Hebrew Bible was just a place of the dead. It wasn't a place of punishment. It's just where people who were dead went, okay? And Hades was the guy that guarded the gate, so Jesus is standing on Hades because the gate has been broken open. 
All right? The place of the dead has been broken open. The, and the gate, look at this. These are parts of the gate right here formed in a cross. And then the cross that Jesus has here, those are the iron poles of the gate that have been formed into the cross. So, so Hades, uh, the gatekeeper, is, uh, is been defeated. The gate's been broken open. The gate falls into the patterns of the cross. All right? Now notice Jesus isn't by himself here. And notice all these grasses right here. That means that this is on earth, not in heaven. Notice here that he's got his hand on this guy right here. That's Adam in Greek. This lady right here is Eve in Greek. He's grabbing the hand of Adam and Eve, and that means that represents all of humanity. Jesus is resurrecting all of humanity on earth. It's a community resurrection on earth. So the Western tradition has a solo ascent into heaven, but the Eastern tradition has a community event on earth. Now, these guys over here, that's David with the beard. That says David right there. And that's his son Solomon right there. That's Solomon. A little bit of theology there, right? Interesting. So, here's an idea for you. If you read Paul carefully, and we're going to look at this in a few weeks, Paul said that the resurrection has started right now. And it's not just about Jesus, it's about all of us. It's about a community event, and it happens and starts happening right now on earth. So let me just give you an idea here. Resurrection always happens in community. It's not a solo event. I think the East got it right and the West messed it up a little bit. They were probably talking about ascension, not resurrection, which are actually two different concepts. But when they depict the resurrection, the West usually depicts ascension, a solo flight up into heaven. But the East, when they talk about resurrection, it's always humanity with Jesus beginning on earth and moving forward into all eternity. So resurrection is something that happens together. Together. So let's look at a resurrection appearance real quick. Matthew chapter 28. If you have your Bibles, you can read with me. I'm going to read verses 16 to the end of the chapter. This is one of Matthew's resurrection appearances. Okay, It says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him. This is, this, is, this is interesting. This popped out to me this time. Because this is the first time I'd preached Easter in which I related more to Dark Friday, Dark Saturday than Resurrection Sunday. This is the first time where I preached Easter where I'd felt like my faith had been shattered and lost, and then now I'm preaching Easter with faith with and after doubt. Always before, I was always excited to preach the Resurrection Sunday, and that's where I kind of like to live. But in this five years since the last time I preached Easter, I'm like, oh, Holy Saturday is my place right now. <laughs> you know, I identify more with Holy Saturday. Isn't that crazy? And, and then Sunday's tough. It's not easy. It's, it's, it's been a struggle, but it's happened slowly in community being honest, vulnerable, and open. And then watching how God moves 
in the brokenness and the honesty and the vulnerability. Now remember where the disciples are at right now. They're going to Galilee because Jesus told them there, but they're shattered. Their faith is shattered. They've abandoned Jesus at His darkest moment. They've abandoned, they've denied, they've betrayed. They've been in disbelief, they've been in fear, they've been in doubt, they've been in confusion. They don't know what the heck to think. They had a totally different expectation than what actually went down and what happened. And so these are a broken, fragmented group of guys who just a few days ago were arguing over who was going to be greatest in the kingdom when Jesus took over by military might, overthrew the Roman government, and they were going to be in the place of power. And they were so excited about it, they were arguing over who was going to be at the right and left of Jesus, right? And now they're shattered and they're broken and they're ashamed and they're embarrassed and they're, they've blown it and they've... And then Jesus is assembling them and He's the one that they've bailed on. And He's assembling them and they see Him, they worship Him, but then it says, but some of them doubted. So think about it, even after seeing a resurrection appearance, the disciples didn't immediately lose their doubt, their questions, their disbelief, their confusion, and all of that. It was a process that happened in community with a bunch of broken men and women who were confused, doubting, in disbelief. And the text acknowledges this, you see? This is a broken group of people, but in humility and vulnerability, guess what? Authentic love begins to emerge. And so then Jesus does this famous commission. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Who would have, who would have the Romans thought had all authority on heaven and earth? Caesar, right? There was that whole Caesar theology. Caesar was Lord. Caesar was Son of God. Caesar was Savior. Caesar brought the Pax Romana, the peace of the world, right? Now all of a sudden Jesus is kind of like, hey, guess what? Caesar's not Lord. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore go, it's an act of participle. Like as you are going, what does it say? Make disciples. This is a church where disciples of Christ. This is this, is this church movement that we're a part of. They call themselves disciples of Christ. What's a disciple? A disciple is a learner. It's a learner. Somebody has an open mind, a beginner's mind, if you want to call it that, who's willing to learn. Disciples are learners. And they're, they're usually learning from somebody that's mentoring them. So in this case, who's the mentor? Jesus. So they're learners. You remember when Jesus opened up his earthly ministry, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here right now. And by the way, Paul is going to say, hey, by the way, guys, the kingdom and the resurrection is starting right now here on earth. Ah, it's not just something we look forward to in the future. It's actually starting right now here on earth. And, and so what that word repent, metanoia in the Greek, it's rethink, change, open your mind up. Doubt some of the stuff you used to think and open yourself up to something new. Hmm. Rethink. Be a lifelong learner. Value a beginner's mind. I always want to be learning. Sometimes we go through trauma and there's a thing called post-traumatic growth 
which is a season if you don't isolate and numb out, but get in community, an authentic community, and get honest, vulnerable, and real, and open, then there's this possibility out of trauma that births a new growth, a new resurrection, a new life. And so Jesus is saying, I have all that. Go make disciples, learners of who? Of just the people you like? Just your little clique of people that you get along with? Who do you make disciples of? Like, well, it's open and exclusive to everybody. Inclusive to everybody. Not exclusive, inclusive. And uh, it's like all nations, like everybody. Like if you're Jewish, you mean like all those people that we're not even supposed to touch because they'll contaminate us? And, and Jesus is going, yeah, all, like all of those, right? That's it. Go everywhere. Go to everybody. Go, go to the whole world. Go to the whole planet. Go to everybody. Go to all those people that are different than you and you don't like them because they believe things that are different. Go to everybody, right? And then he says, baptize them. You know what the word baptize means? It means immersion. Have you ever been into a, maybe a music concert that's like a totally immersive experience? where all of your senses are kind of activated, your sight, your sound, your feeling, your touch, your smell, all of those things. It's like an, a totally immersive environment. Well, immerse people into what? It's one of these Trinitarian formulas, okay? Now, it's so interesting, the Trinity. Have any of you ever puzzled over the Trinity? You know, you've got your Jewish people who say they're monotheists, like there's one God. By the way, before the Jews, most of the world would have been polytheistic. They would have believed in a whole bunch of gods. But the Jewish people came along, like there's one God. And then the, the Muslim people came along, there's one God, right? But Christians come along, and what do Christians say? Well, it's confusing, isn't it? Like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you know, you know, the church has been trying to explain this for over 2,000 years, and we really haven't done a very good job. Because what we end up telling people is like, well, I know we're monotheists, we're one, there's one God, and of course the Jews and the, and the Muslims are saying, no, you got three gods. You got three gods. And, and we're going, no, no, we got one God, but there's three persons. Oh, well, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> You know, like for over 2,000 years, we've been trying to do this, you know. And actually, the first 300 years of Christianity, that was all in debate. Is Jesus God? Is Jesus a human? All that was in play. It was these Cappadocian fathers who started trying to nail it down, saying, no, there's one God, and there's three persons, and there's distinctions in the Trinity, and they have relationship with each other, and it's a mystery, and we can't really explain it, but they tried, and then as you try, it just kind of gets weird, you know. Um, I'm going to recommend a book on the Trinity because I'm not going to dwell too long on this, right? But this is my favorite book on the Trinity. It's called The Divine Dance. It's by Richard Rohr. And his book, Falling Upward, I credit to getting my faith off the ventilator. So if you're in a dark place, read Falling Upward. If you want to try to plunge the depths of the Trinity, use this. <laughs> it's my favorite one. And if you notice... You can't see this, but it's with Mike Morell. Mike Morell was the co-author. I've been chasing Mike down for a long time. Richard's battling cancer, I think, and dementia right now. I'm not sure how he's doing, uh, but I know he's struggling right now. 
So pray for Richard. But Mike is a young guy, a lot younger than me. And uh, I, I just did a podcast interview with him on this book just last Tuesday, and it came out Wednesday. So at spiritualityadventures.com, you can hear it. But I mean, this book has got like Bono from U2 endorsing it, Brian McLaren. It's got Paul Young, who wrote The Shack, endorsing this. It's one of my favorite books on the Trinity. All right. A quote from the book says this, whatever is going on in God, a flow, a radical relatedness, a perfect communion between three, a circle dance of love. I like that. If you have one, it's a little lonely. If you have two, you know, you have dualism, you know, in, out, right, wrong, black, white, all that kind of stuff. But if you have three, it's all of a sudden like, oh, oh, we got we to gotta dance a little bit. We, it's a, the Trinity, and I think the reason why Christians have held on to this thing for so long, because if you go back to the ancient philosophers, what are they trying to figure out? What's, what's unity? What is the essence of everything? What's unity? And then they try to explain, then how do you account for all this diversity? If something's at the essence of everything, unity, then how do you give philosophical account for all the diversity that we see? So this Trinitarian thing is, is touching on this unity and diversity, and I think it's about relationship that's a circle dance of love. And I love that. And so go baptize people in a radically diverse and unified community that's in a circle dance of love. How does that work? And then teach them to observe all I am commanded you. And by the way, what's some of the best stuff of Jesus' teachings? Like love God, love your neighbor, love yourself, love even your enemy. And all of that requires a whole lot of forgiveness on all fronts, right? And, and then it says, and I am with you always. That echoes to Psalm 23, a psalm that I read often at funerals. Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you, shepherd God, are with me. Presence. Presence. Not Isolated loneliness, but presence, community, community. Faith is hard sometimes, but it comes to life in authentic, loving, vulnerable community where doubts, questions, and disbelief and our weaknesses and our vulnerability and our brokenness are open and on display. In a community of loving doubters, let's call it. In a circle dance of love. I kind of like that. I, I, I want to press into that. Brian in his book, Faith After Doubt, says if you wanted to summar, summarize it in just a couple of little statements. You know, faith before doubt, you got all the right answers. Faith after doubt, a lot of it falls apart. And the thing that you have left is to press into revolutionary love. And I think that's what Jesus is about. So how about if we baptize people, immerse people into that circle dance of love? Let's pray. God, come and do work in our hearts. Thank you. 
that you meet us in every kind of place that we could find ourselves in. And your love never fails, never changes. Thank you that if we're courageous and open up about our struggles, our doubts, our fears, our failures, our weaknesses, that in that humility and brokenness and honesty, we can find beautiful love, a circle dance of love. Allow us to be that kind of people, building that kind of community wherever we go, as we go. Open-hearted learners who love Jesus, love God, love our neighbor, love ourselves, love even our enemies. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, and make a one-time donation, or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.